Hello and welcome to The Rate Debate. I'm Darren Langer, co-head of Fixed Income at Yarra Capital Management and joining me is my co-portfolio manager, Chris Rands. Hello, everyone. Well, first Tuesday of March, and that means the RBA has just met, and they've added another 25 basis points to the rate hiking cycle, Chris. Uh, Rates up to 3.6, extending the longest and fastest hiking cycle to the inflation targeting era. I think there was quite a big change this month. Um, They certainly seem to have uh, dialed back the hawkishness a little bit. I mean, they're still talking about rate hikes on the table, but... You know, what was your, your feeling um, in terms of the statement and what might have changed uh, changed their view? Yeah, it does feel like they've backed away a little bit from the hawkishness that we saw last month, which, to be honest, felt a little bit surprising from what they'd said in December. I think what they've done today probably walks them back to what they were saying in December. So the big changes that I think probably caught the market's attention the most. So last month, what they said was that the board expects that further increases in interest rates will be needed over the months ahead. So the very important part there was them saying months ahead was highlighting that they were still ready to go and and move rates potentially multiple times. This time in the statement, though, what they've said is that the board expects that further tightening of monetary policy will be needed. So they've taken away the fact that it needs to be kind of over the next few months. And and that's very similar, I think, to what they said in December. Yeah, I think um, when you look at the price reaction, I mean, the rates markets have rallied quite hard after after that statement. So I'm guessing that a lot of people were betting against the RBA changing their tone, which is probably reasonable. You don't really expect central banks to, to change their view month on month. But yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, February seemed to be the odd period based on where they were before. One of the things I, I guess we've probably seen is a little bit of weaker data over the last couple of weeks. What's your read on that? We saw, I think, a lot of weaker data come out uh, last month, which probably caught them a little bit not necessarily by surprise, but really kind of in juxtaposition to what we saw from inflation at the start of the month. So for GDP, it was below market expectations. It came at in a 0.3%. And within that figure, household consumption only grew 0.3% for the quarter as well. So that was relatively soft. On top of that, we saw employment fall for the month, unemployment rate tick up from 35 to 37 But also importantly, the wages figure only came in at 08 and 3.3% for the year, which again was below the 3.5% expectations. So, you know, there was this wide kind of range of GDP, wages, and employment all come in below expectations. And I think when you put that in context of they've hiked enough now that you're probably starting to see the lagged effects of the first rate hikes, we probably are about to head into a sub kind of trend GDP environment and, and potentially head towards, you know, much slower growth over the period ahead. Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, joy in the numbers, which is kind of to be expected. I mean, that's what putting interest rates up does. So I don't think it should come as a shock, although, you know, it does seem to have taken the RBA a little bit by surprise. Not quite sure why they think they're any better at forecasting those um, variables than they are forecasting inflation, but that they seem to have uh, been a little bit shocked that it came in below their their own expectations. One of the other interesting things I think was in the statement, and it's something that you and I have both talked about, but I think it's getting a little bit more of a pickup in the media, is that this rate hiking cycle is starting to hit various parts of, um, I guess, the the economy at, at a different rate. Some people are probably hardly feeling it or actually benefiting by having higher rates for on their investments. Other people are really starting to feel the feel the pain. I mean, what are you sort of seeing out there, and yeah, where are the pain points that you're seeing? 
Yeah, we, we've talked about this a lot in the past and we'll probably come back to housing in a little bit. But if you look at the rate hikes that have been passed through to the housing sector now, basically the cost of servicing a mortgage. So if you look at the percentage of interest that's paid at, um, over disposable income, it's now basically at the highest that it's been in, in two or three decades. So certainly for people who borrowed money over the past two years, I think they're, they're really going to be starting to feel the pain. And there's been a lot of talk about the fixed rate mortgage cliff and those things, that's obviously going to happen soon. I think another part of the problem, which is more coming out, is just the way the savings distribution is sitting. If you look at the wealth distribution in Australia, most of the savings are sitting in people who are, you know, 60, 65 plus, and then people who are 20 to 40 don't really have much savings. So I think what you're going to start to see from here is the the younger cohorts, the people who have borrowed money to buy housing, they're going to start to feel some pain. And while the RBA tells us that they think people are going to spend their savings, it's starting to look like they're kind of isolated in a different cohort and they might not be sitting there being ready to spend. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing is that um, tends to get misses that, you know, consumption is not consistent across cohorts. Younger people tend to be much bigger consumers than older people generally have the things that they need. Um, they may buy some bigger ticket items, but they don't tend to consume as much of their uh, wealth or savings as, as what the younger generation does. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, whether we start to see some pain. I mean, one of the other things uh, I guess we've been talking about and, and this sort of thing, a lot of people are, have been watching what happens with house prices and, and a lot of people are pointing to migration as the, the thing that will stop house prices falling. You know, we were talking about this the other day. My gut feel is that house prices are more a, a function of um, affordability rather than necessarily demand, although demand does have some some element to it. But, you know, rents are probably the place that will feel that in migration. What, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, so I, I kind of feel the same way about that, that it's going to be the rental situation that kind of bears the brunt of that. If you look at the rental vacancy rates at the moment, Queensland, South Australia and WA in particular have very low vacancy rates. So you could very much see rents kind of continuing to push higher there. In Victoria and New South Wales, while it's tight, it's kind of not quite as tight as those other markets. But if you step back and say, well, what should affect the purchase price? Usually we just end up looking at a person's ability to pay. So when the RBA started this rate hiking cycle, if you weren't about $100,000 per annum and you used 40% of your income to service your loan, you could borrow about $625,000 at a 2.5% mortgage rate. If you bump that mortgage rate up to 6%, and you still only pay 40% of your income, that drops down to 415000 So the ability to borrow money in the economy has dropped considerably. For you know an average earner on about $100,000, it's probably dropped by about two hundred k. And I think that's going to be the, the real determinant of house prices. So the immigration probably will keep driving up rents, but the ability to borrow is going to constrain prices still from here. You know, one of the other things too is we saw some fairly large societal changes over the last 20, 30 years where we went from mostly single income households to double income households. That helped that affordability and for house prices to rise. It's very hard to then suddenly get a three income family or a four income family to keep seeing that same kind of progression. I mean, you could have, I guess, multiple family homes, but that, that's usually not the, the way people go. So, you know, to get that same kind of pickup in affordability is going to be quite difficult without wages. And, and as you've said before, you know, we're, we're not seeing wages increase at, at the pace 
necessary to to sort of fill that gap in and it's probably unlikely that would happen either because it would be a fairly substantial reversal of what we've seen in wages even growing a four percent which is above what the rba wants isn't going to get you there is it yeah and you know i haven't done the numbers recently but when we talked about this probably 12 months ago the the figures were showing that to maintain that kind of borrowing power you probably needed to see wages at the aggregate level rise 15 to 20 percent and you know as i said just before it's at closer to three and a half which doesn't look that fantastic when you kind of think about how much it's going to cost to service those loans the other interesting thing just kind of coming back to wages in the statement today was just what the rba said about the the wage price spiral so when you look at kind of central banking one of the key concerns that they always have is that if wages increase too fast then that will lead to inflation and then people will ask for more wages and you'll get kind of stuck in this self-perpetuating cycle. What they said last month before we'd seen the wages figures was that given the importance of avoiding a price wage spiral, the board will pay close attention to the evolution of labour costs. So that was them saying, look, we've still got our eye on wages. If you roll forward to this month, what they've said is that at aggregate level, wages growth is still consistent with the inflation target, but the data suggests a lower risk of a wage price spiral. So because of this soft figure, I think it is them kind of saying, look, we're not getting the same wages as we are offshore. We thought we were going to see it, but perhaps if we don't, we kind of need to take our foot off the gas a little bit. So Chris, given uh, what happened today, are you ready to call the end of the cycle or are you still expecting the RBA to go again? I think from here... Given their statement, there still is the potential possibly for one more, but it is kind of, I think, really starting to feel like much more of a 50-50 proposition. When you asked this question a few months ago, it it was, I think, much easier to see that they were still going to be going because of the inflation outlook. But now they've actually said in the minutes that they think we've reached peak inflation. We should be getting very close to the end now. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I made the mistake of probably uh, calling a little bit too early in December. I thought we were pretty close to that point of peak inflation then. You know, it seems to be very much around one bad number and suddenly they're going to jump to the other side of the ship. Um, so I think it is very hard to call. You know, I, and I'll put you on the spot there, but um, it, it's it really does seem to be almost a semi sort of schizophrenic bank in that, you know, one minute they're worried about massive amounts of inflation, the next minute they're worried about the growth in the economy and they just keep lurching from one side to the other. It's going to make trading a little bit difficult for the next couple of months, but, you know, that that's kind of I guess, part and parcel of what we do. One of the the other things too, I guess, fixed income markets 12 months ago were probably pretty broken. I mean, they just weren't reacting the way they normally do. It seemed the only way to make money in markets or in fixed income markets was to be short everything. I think we're starting to see some change in that and starting to see fixed income behave a little bit normally again and you know we've talked about this before we think the key to that is the fact that we're actually starting to earn a bit of income on the bonds again so we've gone from you know having zero income up to a more healthy three and a half four four and a half percent sort of level depending on you know what kind of fixed income you have i mean what what are your thoughts in terms of opportunities and sort of you know where you think you know the the next sort of move in in fixed income markets comes over the next six months yeah i guess what We've been trying to do from the duration perspective is, I guess, be a little bit more active in in positioning. So, you know, we've talked about in the past some kind of rules of thumb that we use. Typically, if you look at three-year bonds, if you can buy them at about 25 over cash, you, you generally do all right. And if you can sell them at 50 under cash, you generally do pretty well as well. 
So, you know, if you kind of extend that forward and say, well, you know, maybe the RBA has got one more in them, that would take the cash rate to 385 and it would put kind of extending our duration in the range of probably 370 in the threes. What we've been doing over the past few months is is selling bonds when they've got down to 3% and then trying to buy them back once they got 25 basis points over cash. And I think as we approach the top of the cycle, that will be a good way to play it. Bearing in mind, I guess, as well, that we're we're holding a small overweight position in bonds as well on the expectation that the RBA is going to push it a little bit too far. Once we step away from rates and kind of into the credit world, we've been looking at semi-government bonds, credit bonds, basically anything that uh, has sold off over the past 12 months and really started to kind of try to allocate into that. I would say in the fund, we're as long spread as we've been probably in two years since the, the COVID sell-off. And as long as we can squeak through a recession, I think fixed income is going to do quite well in the environment. Yeah, I think that the key this time is that um, probably in the past where we've had recessionary conditions and we think, you know, we still think a recession is highly likely, the corporate sector has been kind of the area that's copped it. But in this particular round, Australian companies look like they're in relatively good shape. So, you know, whilst that's not, you know, a great time to necessarily allocate to, to risky assets, heading into a recession, I think the downside is a lot limited. It seems to be the consumer and the government sectors at the moment that are probably the, the most exposed to this inflationary pulse and to the slowdown. So it's going to be an unusual thing. Uh, whether the markets react that way is anybody's guess, but that, that's sort of our general feeling is that um, this time around the, the corporate sector and banking sectors are probably in good shape where the consumer and even the and the government not that the government's going to default or anything but you know they have a lot of debt and that's you know probably where the risks are we still don't know what the rba is going to do with its balance sheet all those kinds of questions are still hanging out there but but you know certainly companies in particular look pretty pretty healthy at the moment yeah and i i guess just to follow on from that if you think about fixed income markets in 2021 rates were low spreads were tight there wasn't really much opportunity I guess, to look across the different asset classes because of quantitative easing, it's just driven prices too, in, too far in. If you look at the fixed income market at the moment, it does feel like there's a lot more opportunities and a lot more kind of ability to be active. You know, when we were scratching our heads kind of 12 months ago, thinking about what we're going to do, it does feel the exact opposite now of there's probably a lot of opportunities to start thinking about and really start looking at if you want to allocate into the space. Well, that's it for the month. If you want to suggest topics or discuss anything further with both Chris or I, we can be contacted at the rate debate at yarrascm.com. Tune in next month when we deliver our latest thoughts on the RBA's April rate decision and provide an update on what's been happening in markets. Until then, stay safe. The rate debate podcast content may contain general advice. Before acting on anything in this podcast, you should consider your own objectives, financial situation or needs, and seek the advice of an appropriately qualified financial advisor.